The Big Money Music Hour is brought to you by Les Bourgeois Vineyards, featuring a selection of more than 20 different award-winning local wines with varieties that are dry to sweet and everything in between. Les Bourgeois Vineyards are available at their winery in Rocheport at area retailers or online at MissouriWine.com. Playing what's relevant in music from the country of the Midwest and beyond, you are listening to the Big Muddy Music Hour, presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards. I'm your host, Colin Lavote, the shameless voice, and tonight, my guest is Patrick Wilson from Weezer. You know, dear listener, I am not going to lie to you. This interview kind of caught me off guard. I was generally kind of nonchalant leading up to it you know i've talked to some some pretty big rock stars already just since i started the show and i generally don't get too shook by the stature of just about anybody and you know i was i was thrilled to have patrick on obviously but i kind of had an out-of-body experience while i was talking to patrick because weezer is just one of those bands that I can't describe how indelible of an impact they had in my life and in in my youth. I mean, songs like Buddy Holly, Say It Ain't So, even, you know, The Good Life from Pinkerton were just seminal uh, pinpoints of importance in the soundtrack of my youth. And, you know, I, uh, while I was interviewing him, I, I, I was concerned I was getting tongue tied. I got, I overthought it, I, I think a little bit, but you know, and after it was over, I was kind of viewing it like I, I view live shows sometimes and I'm always my, my own worst critic or biggest critic whenever it comes to a live performance and you know I, after the show i'm always nitpicking what i what i could have done right <laughs> and after the interview i i just had no idea it was like i blacked out and uh, luckily once i went back and edited this thing it, it it turned it was it was a good conversation so i'm happy i didn't put my foot in my mouth but man uh, it, is, it is such a big deal for me personally to have had Patrick on the show. We are going to get to my chat with Patrick Wilson momentarily, but first we're going to take a quick break. So stick around as the Big Money Music Hour podcast keeps on rolling. Big Muddy Music Hour is presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards. Located in Rocheport, Missouri, Les Bourgeois Vineyards has been a Missouri winery for more than 30 years, with over 20 different wines ranging in style and sweetness. Les Bourgeois wines are available at local retailers or online at MissouriWine.com. Support also comes from Ozark Mountain Biscuit Company, offering southern-style sandwiches from their food truck and take-and-bake buttermilk biscuits in the freezer section at Columbia-area Hy-Vee's, Clover's, and The Root Cellar. More information at OzarkMountainBiscuits.com. Support also comes from Pizza Tree, offering a wide variety of sourdough-crusted pizzas, salads, beers, and more at their location at Cherry and 9th in downtown Columbia. Now offering breakfast, Pizza Tree can be ordered online at PizzaTreePizza.com. Support also comes from Amber House Bed and Breakfast, 
Located in historic Rocheport, Missouri, this full-service inn offers lodging and dinner service open to the public with locally sourced ingredients, a rotating wine list, and an in-house masseuse. More information, visit amberhousebb.com. Support also comes from Lizzie and Rocco's Natural Pet Market. With two locations in Columbia, Lizzie and Rocco's is a locally owned natural pet food store. Lizzie and Rocco's nutrition specialists can create custom diets for pets, now offering positive reinforcement dog training. For more information, visit lizzieandrocco's.com. Playing what's relevant in music from the country of the Midwest and beyond. You're listening to the Big Money Music Hour presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards. My guest this week is the drummer for one of the world's biggest rock bands for the last quarter century. Weezer has been topping the charts since their debut in 1994. And with their orchestral new album, OK Human, they have once again defied expectations and in turn have created the most compelling rock album to have dropped thus far in 2021. And with that, I want to welcome Patrick Wilson of Weezer to the Big Money Music Hour. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Happy to be here. Midwest. Yes, yes. Yeah, we have a lot of a lot of great uh, acts coming through the Midwest right now. And I was talking to you before the show, and you know, whenever we have folks like you on, you know, that have have a have a big name, it helps draw a good audience to those those artists. And uh, yeah, I can't thank you enough for doing the show, man. This is gonna be great. Right on. So you know, your music has left an indelible impression on my life. Your debut album, the Blue Album, you know, dropped in '94, and right at that time, I was you know falling madly in love with modern rock music. And now, being 14 albums deep in your career, there's there's a lot to cover. But before we get to your many uh, different paths to rock stardom, I want to pull things back a bit because generally, I ask. Uh, a simple question to every musician that that joins the show, and I, I'm interested in, in hearing where your musical journey started because you were obviously playing music well before you met all the guys in Weezer. But I'm always interested in hearing the story of how people like you come to come into music and decide, you know, I want to get in front of people and give that gift. I mean, my whole life I've loved music ever since I can remember. Like, I was kind of a hyperactive kid. And uh, I just have always been super amped up with music for whatever reason. I mean, when I was little, little, I think I had, I, I would buy records like 52nd Street by Billy Joel and stuff like that. I mean, that's kind of unusual for a very young kid. Uh, and I had an older, an older cousin who, he was seven years older than me and he dropped off some records. He dropped off Van Halen 1 rush 2112 and a bunch of other crazy and it was like it's so fortunate to be so young and hear those records i was super pumped on them too like i was like this is great you gotta remember too at that time like the, the media of the world was there just wasn't so much of it like this was like a little straw that you could like drink from it was crazy so <laughs> that that was like an uh, uh, Im imbalance in my life uh, that kids don't 
really get to understand anymore is like there was scarcity of cool stuff back in the day. I mean, that was true even in the 90s, you know, I mean, just even where we've we've come from since the the 90s, because, you know, whenever, uh, you know, I want to get into some of the the happenings around the Blue Album and Pinkerton. But uh, one of the things I was going to talk about, it was just like you guys in particular had fans that were so diehard. Like I had friends that were just crazy about, and I, I loved you guys, like Buddy Holly, like all those, all those songs were, you know, just formative moments of my life listening to that music. And it had a huge effect on me personally, but you're like hardcore fans, the Weezer fans. There was, it was like this, this group in the nineties that were like obsessed with, with the lore surrounding it. You know, I, I didn't read like, like rock magazines. It's not like today on social media where you see like every little story about every little thing that, you know, every, every artist says just kind of like coming, coming at you in a constant stream. You had to look for it if you wanted to find it. I think it's amazing how things have changed. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, there's a lot of competition for your attention these days, but I, I also feel like we're, we've reached some sort of zenith uh uh you know it's just a lot right now (laughs) like everyone is tries competing for your eyeballs and your attention and it kind of it it makes things go to like a lowest common denominator because that's what's work what works the best and i think we're seeing it all over the place we see it in our news we see it in our politics we see it in our music and i think Right now, for a record like OK Human to be so well received is very gratifying for me because it's sort of the opposite of all of that. It's it's really kind of what it's about what got me into music in the first place. It's very real. Uh, there's not a lot of there's no shenanigans on the record. There's no click tracks. There's no there's no like, you know, crazy. There's no auto tuning. There's no any of that, you know, so it's like a very very uh human record yeah and i i love it but okay human is one of my favorite weezer albums of all time and i am curious how did the pro how did this album come together because what what interests me about you guys is that no matter what you come out with it's it's something different. You don't know what to expect. And in, in, in this day and age of digital media where, you know, catching people by surprise and saying, Hey, all of a sudden, you know, you're going to get a, a bunch of great new content from your favorite band, like tomorrow, you know, it's kind of a different, different cycle. And, but, uh, you know, okay. Human is, uh, is very, he, as, as you mentioned, it, it, it feels human. And that what, what led you guys to this place where you wanted to do something orchestral and where did, uh, how did it, how did it come about to begin with? Well, the way we're set up now is sort of each album, uh, we gets a theme in some ways, like let's do this kind of record. Let's do that kind of record. And in this case, um, Jake Sinclair, our producer and good friend, uh, was was like you know what I wanna I, I was talking with him about it and I I was like let's just make a record that's like two mics on the drums and like you know capture what is in the air like that it's something that doesn't it doesn't require endless massaging like let's just do something that's very straightforward and old school and he he at the same time was thinking similarly he he wanted a lot of strings. 
because he's got you know friends in England and over here they, that are great arrangers and uh it kind of it, it just went from there and at the same time he was helping you know with Rivers uh you know Rivers is a writing machine as as you know he he just he, he works harder than anyone I know on writing music like he literally puts the work in and but so the combination of those two things together uh it just kind of played itself after a minute I remember going over to Jake's house with 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 Rivers and I didn't want to I knew we were doing something but I didn't really want to hear the songs because I didn't want to develop my own ideas about how things should go and and you know get married to those ideas I just wanted to react in real time to what Rivers was writing and he had written it all on the piano but for this recording he was playing it on acoustic guitar so we would run through the songs like we probably did maybe three sometimes four run-throughs of the song as I got to know it better and that literally 95% of the drums on the record were done that day. And wow. uh, from that, 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 that uh, those tracks were taken to the string people and, you know, they uh, arranged it. And uh, I feel like such a jerk because I know I, sh I, I can't remember the guys, uh, Jake's friend over at Abbey road, who was like, hugely responsible for why this record sounds the way it does. I, I'll find out. I mean, maybe we can put it in the show notes or something, but. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll give him credit for sure. Cause it's, it's, it's just crazy. Uh, you know, I, I heard that first single drop and I, I really, uh, I, I tuned into it. I, I really enjoyed it. And then whenever I came to find that it was a 39 piece orchestra, is that right? Yeah. The, I mean, the, it's, it's great. <laughs> Yeah, it helped helped you guys put this together. I mean, there's not a single electric guitar on the album, <laughs> you know, which I I did I didn't never thought in all my years I would hear in, about a Weezer album in particular. I've I've read that there was a particular Van Halen concert that had kind of a formative uh, effect on you in terms of your uh, journey as a musician. Is that right? Well, my first concert was was Van Halen in on their 1984 record, and uh, I remember being a little confused because I didn't think it sounded good. I was like, "Oh, this doesn't sound like the record," like because they were, you know, out of their minds and just having a good time. <laughs> the, the sound at Buffalo Memorial Auditorium was less than you know quality, so it's like uh, it wasn't until the second concert where I saw Rush there that I completely. I was blown away. I was like, holy shit, this is like exactly what I thought it should sound like. So that, in, in that regard, uh, <laughs> Van Halen was instrumental. Throughout your career, you, you played with every iconic rock band <laughs> on the planet, basically at this point. But I, I would have to have imagined that you had some experiences with Eddie Van Halen along the way, right? I mean, did you ever get to get to know this guy that you idolize in your youth? I met him once, and there's only two people in the in the world that I've met that I got super freaked out by. He was one of them because you know, it goes deep. Like totally, I'm little, and I still to this day will crank Van Halen and get excited about it. Like early Van Halen to me, it's like it's not even the nostalgia. It's just it's it's a stoker of a thing. It's like 
it's hard to explain, but well, that's what good rock and roll should do. It should, you know, get your rock off. Oh, yeah, right? they didn't you give know? a. Sh they just <laughs> wanted to have a good time. But when I met him, he came to our show at the Forum, and uh, it, it was awkward because I like gushed. I, I immediately started gushing, and then I put my foot in my mouth. I was like, "Dude, man, you're you're like kind of a hero to me." And I realized, well, okay, so now you've made it awkward. <laughs> And you, you sort of backhanded him by saying like, yeah, you're, you're kind of a hero. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. Oops. That's hilarious. That is so funny. Wow. And all he wanted to do was talk about Wolfie. He wanted to talk about his son and, and how great he was and how great his music was. And uh, you know, it, it's gotta be hard for those guys, but uh, they, they, they showed a lot of love for each other. You moved to LA you know, what was it like in the early nineties? Right. And, uh, this is when you first met, uh, Rivers and Brian and the band's original bassist, Matt Sharp. Can you tell me a little bit about that time period whenever Weezer first became a thing? Yeah. I mean, I, I moved straight out of the house I grew up in, uh, it was 1990. Uh, so like the hair metal thing was pretty much on its way out. And, but nothing had come to replace it. Like Nirvana hadn't hadn't shown up and all the Seattle stuff hadn't shown up yet. So, well, there was Jane's Addiction, which everyone thought was cool as hell. And they, they are cool as hell, but yeah, it was a strange time to be there. Like I was young, I didn't know anything. Uh, I, I'm looking back on it now, I'm just like the luckiest person. It's I couldn't be luckier for all the things to have happened the way they did. Uh, but the one constant was, you know, I wanted to make, I, I was motivated to play and, and like make nice music. And I think Rivers was the same way, even though he sort of was disillusioned because he was like a metal dude and like metal was kind of, you know, like that was kind of going away. But so he was, he always had one foot in school as a, as like a sort of a backup, but you know, he's just too hard of a worker to like become an academic, I think. <laughs> well, yeah, you guys do work hard. I mean, this is your 14th album is okay. Okay. Human. Is that right? I, I say so. <laughs> yeah. So this is your 14th album. It, you guys are workaholics and you have another album that was supposed to come out in 2020, right? Van Weezer. Yeah. It was going to go with the hella mega tour and it was going to mm -hmm. be like, kind of like this, big arena rock take on 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 songs and uh yeah and who it was so the hell omega tour was you guys green day with blink 20 what was what was the lineup on that it's green day um fallout boy and weezer and it's still it's still on like it's still we, we have 22 shows in stadiums booked for this summer you know we'll see what happens but as of today it's a go yeah so what what has that been like for you as someone that has made their living and their their life's mission to just play play mu play music as as your primary focus and then not actually being able to get out and do it is that how the you know okay human happened or did, was okay human before you know something that started before covid happened man so, so covid was like basically like what 13 months ago where we became aware of it i think okay human had started before that but was informed by the whole thing as like you know like songs were were being developed and stuff but yeah it's been it's been an interesting time actually like a lot of assumptions i had about the world are are very different today 
Um, I miss playing a lot. But the funny thing is I hear a lot of stories about older musicians who are, are, are like, they're like over it. They don't want to go back. Like they don't want to tour anymore, but like, I, I want to play. So yeah, I, it's going to be really interesting going forward, how things change. Yeah. I, I, I think I, I'm going to see that even to a certain extent on the regional level. I think that there's a lot of acts that are, that I, I don't know, you know, I don't know who's still going to be standing after, you know, they actually can get back out and, you know, get in a club again. Cause I have to wonder, you know, well, if it was, gonna... it was hard then. Like yeah, it was exactly. hard. It was hard when you could go. Like, I mean, people tell me that, that, you know, there's all kinds of shows going on in different parts of the country, like go to Florida, you can go see a concert right now, but oh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. it's just, you know, we'll see what happens. Well, I'm sure that, you know, the powers that be, anything that you guys are a part of will be done with the best practices. And I hope that the tour can finally take off and we can hear some more from Van Weezer as that gets released. Again, I kind of mentioned earlier that, you know, the fandom around Weezer was nothing short of rabid in the early days. And I, I had, I've had many friends that obsess over you guys. And as a result, I don't think I heard more conversations about a particular album than I did Pinkerton. The lore behind the album is something that at this point I kind of feel is like historic in nineties rock. And I'm sure you've talked about this period of your career a thousand times, but I'd like to hear your perspective on it because this is the story I've heard that, you know, after the massive success of, of the blue album, you all poured your heart and soul into the, you know, this follow up Pinkerton, which this day, is my favorite of your albums and it ultimately become a a classic though it didn't have a fraction of the play that the blue album did was too much made of the initial reception of the album and how it affected the band or was it as pivotal as your hardcore fans made it out to be when you're young and you get success and you're still actually going through a lot of personal development and like musical development i think it's it's overwhelming because sometimes you feel like you got famous for something that you weren't necessarily a proponent or invested of or invested in, you know what I mean? So I guess that's why a lot of bands, their second record is always like some giant U-turn. If their first one was successful, I think they want to like make a statement. I don't know why that is. I think it's just being contrarian, I guess, and you're young, like, you know, <laughs> but uh that record is so cool because it sounds so alive and like explosive and i'm not surprised now looking back that it it people were expecting like blue album 2 would they would totally be disappointed because it's not at all like the blue album but the thing is is that people weren't your fans weren't disappointed they loved pinkerton like the hardcore fans like loved and and like the good life it was one of those songs that I just, I can't even describe. I, and it was, I had heard it a handful of times before I even realized it was you guys. Cause it, it, it was, it was similar, but, but it was so, so, you know, it, it was pivoted to a certain extent. It was raw and gritty. And, and then, uh, you know, it, it's, it's uh, one of those albums that I think that people, it really was, was very formative for your, for your hardcore fans, because after that there was you know, kind of a, hiatus and then then the green album and you know i i just i don't know i i don't think it had as much of a negative connotation as as what it seemed at the time maybe because of reviews and or sales if that makes any sense 
Oh, I remember playing a place called, I think it was the Ranch Bowl, which I, I'm, is, it might be in Oklahoma, like in, in uh, Tulsa or Oklahoma City. I don't even remember because it was so long ago. But I remember being freaked out because it was packed. It was like a giant club. And p- kids were freaking out and singing, singing the songs like, like the deep cuts on the record. They knew all the lyrics. And I'm like, what's, what's going on here? Because like, at the time, I think the feeling was, oh, it's not going to do as well as the Blue Album. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's just funny to think back on that time. And like, it's, it's so hard to explain, but like, you think you did bad but you thought you were good. And then the kids thought you were good, but then those other kids thought you were bad. And like, it's, it's just, just constantly changing perspective uh, storm. And, you know, Rolling Stone comes out and says, worst album of the year. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then of course, 20 years later, they're like, ah, you know, actually that was a pretty great record. <laughs> so, you know, it, you have to take it all in stride because in the end it's just people playing music and i i couldn't be more fortunate to be able to do it now one of my other favorite albums of yours is uh one of the cuts that you dropped in the last five or six years and that was the wide album and i i'm curious about about this time because you know there was uh, you, you had dropped Everything Will Be All Right in the end uh, just prior to the White Album. That was a really strong effort as well after kind of a hiatus. But then uh, you you dropped the White Album, and in particular, a song I'm going to play here in a minute, I, Thank God for Girls. I actually put that on uh, both of the playlists for both of my uh, two daughters. Uh, when we, we had a, uh, It was on rotation amongst other songs while my wife was in labor. And, uh, you know, it's... <laughs> There's a lot of tracks on there that just hit hit for me. It's 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 in my top top three of yours. So I'm wondering if you could just give me a taste of this era where you know after four years off essentially of, of releasing music, you guys come back with these two powerhouse albums. We've taken breaks, you know, throughout our career for like two maybe two or three times for like more than a year of doing nothing, and so there was a lot of shuffling around of ideas by that point and like how to approach making records. And uh, it was pretty gratifying to start working with Jake. Cause like he was a super fan and you know uh, that song in particular, thank God for girls is so very unweezer to me. Like it's <laughs> like, if you, if you played that after like, you know, say it ain't so you'd be like, are these guys the same band? But that's what's so so nuts is you guys just keep on coming at the pop rock structure from every angle and the, you just don't play by any particular rules or expectations of what people expect you to expect you to come with and but you just always deliver just great hooks and and great beats and that's it's it's crazy because like thinking back on the Pinkerton days had I had someone told me what your your all's career trajectory would have been, I would have never charted that path, you know, in my mind. And it's bizarre. <laughs> it's super bizarre. And I don't I don't really understand. Like I guess we're just we kind of know what the classic Weezer sound is, and I think part of us is just like, well, we know that 
we know what that's going to sound like. Yeah. So let's let's start fooling around and and see if we can't come up with some other stuff too. I uh, threw threw a question out there to some folks, friends of mine that I know are big fans and also fellow musicians, and asked them, you know, if they had any single thing that they could ask you, what would it be? And one of the questions is, is uh, what's your favorite Weezer track to play live? That came from Jeff Bloomer. He uh, threw that my way, and I thought that was a pretty good question. That's tough. I mean, every day is, feels a little different, but there's like some deep tracks uh, that are super fun. Like songs like Summery Lane and Drunk Dory. Like those, that's a, such a cool song. I always love playing only in dreams because it's like very spaced out. It's like space rock. So I, I love all that stuff. We're listening to the big money music hour presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards. My guest this week is Patrick Wilson of Weezer. So you play a variety of instruments. Does your origin as a drummer play a role in how you approach playing other instruments? Do you, think about how the drums can fit in while you're playing guitar or do you just focus on one part at a time? I don't think about it at all. Actually, I just try and whatever instrument I don't, I don't really play a lot of instruments, but I like playing guitar and I like playing drums and uh, I don't know. You just try and find the music in it. You know what I mean? Like a, a very simple thing can, can be really effective musically if it's like played, with a certain feel. So I, I, I try and concentrate on those types of nuances rather than, you know, be a, try and be a shredder. It had to be kind of a trip whenever you guys kind of crossed that threshold, particularly with the blue album being such a massive success. T- can you tell me a little bit just about that experience Four guys that were jamming around in LA and then before you knew it, you guys were kind of a phenomenon that had to just be, I always just imagine how much of a head trip that has to be from going to, you know, playing in a garage or, you know, basement or whatever to having that, that rabid crowd that knows every word to every song. It was pretty strange, man, because we would play around LA a lot and, but we never really, for like maybe at least a year we did we had like the same like 20 people come to the show like just friends and people supporting us and like it kind of felt like it was going nowhere but then it sort of turned into a thing and people started showing up at the clubs and this a similar thing kind of happened like as far as making the record like to go from you know being young kids playing in clubs to then working with Rick Ocasek you know trying to like actually go into a real studio and 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 make a real recording it was it was a pretty big leap it felt overwhelming uh at first but uh he was such a good mentor at that time for us because we really needed someone to like you know guide us and like you know it's hard to explain but it's a miracle that that record sounds the way it does. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds Shaw, so good. Chris, Chris Shaw too, um, engineering it. Like it, it was, it was a great mix of, of energies there. It was cool, but it was also kind of terrifying at the same time. Uh, I can only imagine. And you know, everything works out in, in the end, just like the album, everything will be all right in the end. It, it's only, only gotten better. And you guys have, 
you know, never cease to amaze, uh, amaze me. You're, you're kind of a, you know, a, a, at a point now Weezer is where I would consider it to be like a real, like cultural entity, you know, is you guys are be way beyond just that band that had some really great hits back in the nineties. You guys just have to like def- redefined yourself at every turn. And you're, you're always coming up with something that that's at least worth talking about. And I think that just by virtue of the popularity of you guys, anyone that is as popular as, as you guys like that are at that echelon of, you know, being a rock band that people really enjoy. You also get just kind of like that open wound of the internet where you just get people that will kind of make fun of you or, or hate, hate on you guys. And just (laughs) because, you know, like it's, I, I, I look at stories, you know, on like consequence of sound or whatever, anytime they, they post about you guys, cause I want to know what's, what's going on. And I just, I always take a look at the comments and it just seems like this age where, you know, the contrarian has a soapbox. Obviously you don't let that, that stuff get to you. I wouldn't imagine, but it has to be kind of interesting being in the middle of, of kind of a, a cultural discussion, or at least at the, you know, uh, for better or worse, uh, a, a cultural debate at play. Well, here's a funny story. We were, we've been getting trolled since before there was an internet. Like after the first record came out, we had a fan club and we still do. And that was the way you, you know, you could write a letter to the fan club. And I remember, <laughs> I'll never forget, like reading this letter, this kid is like handwritten with pencil. Like he, he must've been 15, maybe. I mean, maybe even like 13. And he's like, you guys are cool. Nah, not really. <laughs> In Wisconsin once, we were like doing a, like when fans used to go and like, you know, do a lot of signings. You'd have to do an in-store at a record store or they would hold it somewhere and you play a few songs and then, you know, a thousand kids want to get something signed. This one kid comes up he must have waited like 40 minutes and he finally gets this he goes i just i just want you guys to know i think you guys suck <laughs> and i remember being offended about it at the time like because i was like so naive about you know trolling and all that and <laughs> i look back on it now and i kind of have like the weird respect for him but at the time i was like i was like i wanted to like fight this kid <laughs> So I don't, I mean, you have to look at the internet, like it's essentially a giant complaint machine in some ways. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like nobody cares about old lady who was helped across the street. They care about the one that got ran over, you know, it's like local news, like the local news format is now basically the format for the whole internet, which is 90% fear porn. And then at the very end, they go, oh, and by the way, the Girl Scouts have a new flavor. Like, you know, like, <laughs> what is even happening? So you have to turn, there has to be like a, 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 some kind of filter you use to look at the internet and go, oh, right. That's like a bunch of hyperbole all the time. So yes, you have to be absolutely. careful. You have to walk outside, go see your neighbor, wave to him. Oh, look, she's walking her dog. Like, it's fine. It's <laughs> <Yeah>. fine. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. yeah. A complaint <laughs> machine. I think, uh, that if the internet did a rebrand, it would uh, serve it well to just be honest and call itself that, 
That's wild. Well, I appreciate the insight and I appreciate the chat. Patrick Wilson from Weezer, thank you so much for joining the Big Money Music Hour. It's been a blast. All right, man. Have a good one. All right. That's it for me, folks. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Of course, I want to thank Patrick Wilson of Weezer for being my guest this week. So keep on fighting the good fight, people. And on behalf of everyone at KBIA and LB Creative, this is Colin LaVote, the Shameless Voice, signing off. Big Muddy Music Hour presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards is produced by LV Creative and KBIA-FM, an NPR station from Columbia, Missouri. The show is hosted, written, and edited by Colin Lavote. Co-produced by Kyle Felling, Mike Dunn, Alicia Lavote, and Ruth Acuff. Theme song written by Pat K. Outro song written by Crip Trip. Videographer is Matt Matlack of LV Creative. For more Big Money Music Hour content, subscribe to the Big Money Music Hour podcast wherever you get your podcasts. To hear on-air reruns of the Big Money Music Hour, go to bigmoneymusichour.com. Thank you.